You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, Straight White Christmas. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is a program promoting secular humanism and scientific skepticism that is produced by the Winnipeg Skeptics and the Humanists, Atheists, and Agnostics of Manitoba. You can email your questions, comments, or criticisms to us at podcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes, references, and relevant links for all episodes can be found at lueepodcast.wordpress.com or at winnipegskeptics.com slash blog. I'm your host today, Ashlyn Noble, and with me today I have Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Jem Newman. Hello. And Lauren Bailey. Hi. So today we're going to talk about privilege. For some people, especially people in the skeptical and atheist spheres, it seems like, even saying the word privilege... Sorry, Ashlyn, uh, I feel like I should... <laughs> Break in and talk over me? <laughs> I'm elected <let> finish. <laughs> so, for some people... Especially people in the skeptical and atheist spheres. Even saying the word privilege makes them tense up, get defensive, and prepare for a fight. So, instead, let's start by talking about oppression. Almost everyone will agree that many groups experience forms of oppression. People of color, women, the disabled, LGP, and especially T people. Think about the forms of oppression that you experience. In addition to the ones I just listed, maybe you're undereducated, maybe you're fat or old, or English isn't your first language. These things make life harder and are things you can't control. We can think of privilege as the opposite of oppression. They are unearned benefits given to people in a group. Phoenix Kalita writes, Privilege simply means that under the exact same set of circumstances you're in, life would be harder without your privilege. So being poor is hard, but being poor and disabled is harder. Being a woman is hard, but being a trans woman is harder, and being a black trans woman is even more harderer. You can be privileged and have a difficult life. Having privilege doesn't mean you didn't work hard for what you have. You should, however, be aware of it and work to reduce the ways in which that hurts others. This is where that oft-maligned phrase, check your privilege, comes in. I'm going to quote here from the blog Privilege 101. Checking your privilege is hard, but do it anyways. Checking your privilege involves becoming aware of your privilege and how it benefits you over other people. Trying not to do anything to actively further or abuse your privilege, such as using language that isn't othering, and listen when people you have privilege over tell you that you're doing something offensive or hurtful to them. Checking your privilege is a lifelong journey that's never really over, and it can be difficult. Most human beings don't like hurting other people, and it's very uncomfortable to find out that you're inadvertently been benefiting from the hurt of other people who have done nothing to you. It's natural to feel guilt, but don't let the guilt cause you to only focus on how your privilege affects you, or try to make people you're privileged over ease your guilt. That's going in the wrong direction. It's okay to think about how your privilege affects you, but the focus should be on how it affects the people who don't have it, not on the people who do. Uh, I was just wondering if you could provide an example of othering language so that, uh, you know, for people who are not familiar with that term. Sure. An othering behavior is something that makes the person that you're talking to or about feel like they're uh, separate or different than other people. Uh, Themification. I guess an example that I can think of just in my line of work is um, the term um, obese people. Um, a lot of, like, that's very othering to people, and it's not descriptive uh, at all. And so something that a lot of people or in the field are trying to work towards is people living with obesity, that kind of thing. So it's not such a descriptor, and it's putting a group of people in a different category, but it's trying to just 
like you would, you know, we're trying not to say diabetics anymore as people living with diabetes or you know, whatever it happens to be. So trying to put it in that kind of category rather than the obese people, because that sets them apart from everybody else so the living with other conditions. So the distinction then would be you're talking about people who have a condition yes. rather than this class of people. Yes, exactly. Like their condition does not separate them from the greater population. They are part of the greater population. They happen to have this condition. And something that's maybe too obvious that didn't uh, occur to me earlier was if if you're talking about a group of people and you talk about them like oh those people, yeah, you know, that's that's the extreme end of, yeah. of an othering kind of language, you know that group those people. All you, you bisexuals people. are the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a person living with sarcasm, I can appreciate. That. <laughs> To continue, uh, privilege is also relative. Uh, we'll talk more about intersectionality later in the podcast, uh, but for now, this example from an everyday feminism post. Uh, I'm right-handed, and in turn, I don't have to drag my palm through the ink when I write. That's a privilege I have by the nature of my birth. Uh, that's not to say, though, that my right-handed privilege bears the same weight or social responsibility as the privilege that my skin color, my gender, my wealth, or my sexual orientation afford me. It's also important to know that a system of privilege and oppression hurts us all, even those who benefit from the most privilege. Uh, for example, although men have a lot of privilege over women, they're also boxed in by the definitions we put around maleness uh, that says men can't have deep feelings, they have to want sex all the time, they solve their problems with violence, and on and on and on. Real men don't cry, they stand in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so now that we have a baseline to start from, uh, Lauren's going to tell us about a well-known piece on privilege by John Scalzi. Uh, he's an author, a blogger, and a heterosexual white guy. I believe he actually refers to it, if we're going to talk about how people like to be categorized as a white guy who likes women. <laughs> <laughs> May 15, 2012, John Scalzi wrote a piece called Straight White Male is the Lowest Difficulty Setting There Is and he referred to life as if it were a video game. When you set up your character, you get to choose the level that you wanted to, to start at. You have so many personality points, and you could choose from the easy setting, which was straight white male, and transgender black woman was the hardest setting because those people are hardcore gamers. We're starting with the lowest settings, and the computer still assigns you the, the random amount of starting points and where you get to dump your points into. So it could give you 200 points in charisma, or it could give you 25 points in wealth. And it doesn't matter what, what they're starting with, it's certainly possible someone playing at a higher difficulty setting is progressing more quickly than you are because they had more points initially given to them by the computer and or their highest stats are wealth, intelligence, and constitution, and or simply because they play the game better than you do. It doesn't change the fact that you were still playing on the lowest difficulty setting. So. Straight white guys, lowest difficulty setting. They may not win the game the same way, but they're the ones who have the easiest time getting through the game. Then his website blew up. <laughs> <laughs> Within three hours, there was 800 comments when he cut it off because he said he had to go to bed. Uh, and then there he wrote a few, couple of follow-up articles saying, here's why I banned you. As I was researching this, I found a, an article by Jim C. Hines, which is called Facts Are Cool. And these are all based on Amer the American talking about the, the different settings in the Scalzi piece and saying, well, you know, here's some facts to back up his numbers because these straight white men on the internet 
weren't too happy when they were told that they had the easiest setting in life. Right. Yeah. So, uh, some of the facts were black males receive prison sentences that are approximately 10% longer than comparable white males with those at the top of the sentencing distributions facing even larger disparities. Poverty rates in 2009 in the States from income, poverty, and health insurance coverage in the U.S. For non-Hispanic whites, 9.4% of poverty. Uh, Asians, 125 Blacks, 253 Hate crimes in 2010 from the U.S. Department of Justice. Race by anti-black bias was 69.8%, compared to 18.2% that stemmed from an anti-white bias. And I have two pages worth of all of these different stats and the different things that both Scalzi and Heinz did, uh, researched and looked on their sites. So you mean he didn't just make this up? People are actually discriminating against minorities? <laughs> yes! <laughs> people are discriminating against minorities and women and people with disabilities. And you mentioned that all of these you know, facts, these numbers, uh, and we'll, we'll link to these pieces in the show notes, mm-hmm. are from the United States, but uh, I just shared on Facebook just yesterday an Ottawa Citizen column uh, by Terry Glavin talking about how Canadians have no reason to be smug about race themselves. I read that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it talks about the horrendous, just absurd disparity uh, in living conditions, white Canadians and Aboriginal Canadians. Especially up north. Or mm-hmm. even not that far north from here. Okay, <laughs> by north I mean, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> an hour and a half? <laughs> the north end. Of the north end. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, there was, there was the piece um, came out last week saying... Manitobans and Saskatchewan's most racist people in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. us. Yay us. We're winning. <laughs> but of course, not a good, not a good way. Shannon. Well, the not reason we're way. winning is because our difficulty setting is lower. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, so, looking at it as a as a video game in which you're given your different settings is is one way. Uh, this one has been going around. Uh, it's a BuzzFeed article, so you know may or may not be apocryphal, uh, but. It's another example. It says, I once saw a high school teacher lead a simple, powerful exercise to teach his class about privilege and social mobility. He started by giving each student a scrap piece of paper and asked them to crumple it up. Then he moved the recycling bin to the front of the room. He said, the game is simple. You all represent the country's population. Everyone in the country has a chance to become wealthy and move into the upper class. In order to do so, all you have to do is throw your wadded up paper into the bin while sitting in your seat. The Hmm. students in the back of the room immediately piped up, this is unfair. They could see the rows of students in front of them had a much better chance. Everyone took their shots, and as expected, most of the students in the front made it, but not all of them, and only a few students in the back of the room made it. He concluded by saying, the closer you were to the recycling bin, the better your odds. This is what privilege looks like. Did you notice how the only ones who complained about fairness were in the back of the room? By contrast, people in the front of the room were less likely to be aware of the privilege they were born into. All they can see is 10 feet between them and their goal. Your job as students who are receiving an education is to be aware of your privilege and use that particular privilege called education to do your best to achieve great things all the while advocating for those in the rows behind you. So I thought that was a pretty simple way to look at it for people who maybe are still having a problem really with the word privilege because there's so many people out there, especially right now, who just hear it and are like, I, I don't have privilege. I grew up poor. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter that you grew up poor. You still grew up poor on the easier difficulty setting. Yeah, like people seem to really resist the idea that they are themselves privileged because everybody does have a mix of advantages and disadvantages. Many of them doled out seemingly at random, like Scalzi mentioned in his, in his post. 
but the fact that I, for example, did you know grow up quite poor for a large portion of my life, for many years lived in a very abusive environment, that doesn't mean that I'm not the beneficiary of unearned privilege. I definitely am. Have you ever gone to a job interview where there wasn't another white male on the other side of the table? <laughs> That's actually a good question. Uh, I don't think that I have. I think every time I've been interviewed, there has been, like, there have been white women present in some of them as well, but never exclusively non-white males. I have, but that's because my field is 95 to 98 percent women. So it's yeah. very surprising if there are men present. So I worked. I worked hard. I, I worked hard, guys, to get right. where I am today. Right. Uh, but so did many, many, many other people who didn't get where I am today. Right. And what could I have possibly done to deserve such a magnificent beard? Uh, that another... is unearned privilege. Another quote from the uh, Phoenix uh, Kalida, Kalida, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, uh, article um, that resonated with both Lauren and I, I think, uh, as well as our house guest, was, uh, privilege describes what everyone should experience. They are special advantages, but it's what it's the advantages that everyone should experience. And people with said privilege sometimes don't recognize that not everyone is treated the same way. Um, and so I feel like that's really true with the people that we're talking about who are so resistant to this concept, is that they don't see it because they think that everybody must be treated fairly because they are. Right. Yeah. They, they do see it, and, and I, I was actually looking up, in the interest of fairness, I was looking through critiques of privilege. Oh, God, I had to read some websites, guys. <laughs> oh, that check your privilege uh, thing makes me stabby every time I read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was reading some critiques of privilege, and, and one of the one of the reasonable critiques of privilege is just that the term seems to imply that we're talking about luxuries rather than rights. It, it's not that people who are privileged are enjoying benefits that they haven't earned. Instead, the others who are not privileged in that way are not able to exercise the full range of rights that they should have. Mm -hmm. So one benefit of privilege, for example, is unimpeded access to education, as you were just talking about. I have stats. I have stats <laughs> for that. But, but calling it privilege might lead some people to think of it as a luxury rather than a right that everybody deserves. Yeah. I wonder if using the word lucky might be better for that, because... Uh, I do get that, and before I really was aware of it, the reason that I think of it is because it helps to me to say, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be born in Canada. I was lucky enough to be born in a middle-class, upper-middle-class family. I was lucky enough, you know, and it sort of shows, when you think of it as lucky, we often think it's not necessarily in our control, right? Right? Like, we rolled the dice, we had a lucky roll, we had a lucky hand, we had a lucky streak or something like that. So it sort of makes you think that, like, these are some of the things that you didn't do for yourself. You know, you didn't build this, right? And I, I agree that that works, but I also think that people would have the same objection, saying like, oh, I wasn't lucky, I grew up poor. Right. Or, I wasn't lucky, I had to work five jobs. There, there's also another problem that I see with that, where you're, you're sort of, in a, in a sense, almost endorsing the status quo when you say that you're lucky, because an implication would be you're lucky to be white, or I'm lucky to be a man, when in fact what we should be aiming for mm. is a world yeah. in which you can't be lucky in those ways because being a man is not advantageous in, uh, over being a woman, for example. Hey, you get to pee sure. standing up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe there are, well, but 
But not all not all men. You know, you have trans men who. I'm, who, I'm sorry. Right. That was yeah. rather. There was that, a was, person living with sarcasm coming across yeah, the radio. No, I know. <laughs> hey, but I catch myself doing yeah. that too. You know, and th- these are things that we don't necessarily think about. You know, or the, hashtag not all men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want the stats about the education? Yeah, I've got the stats. Yeah, <laughs> Lauren's really excited about I've the got stats. stats. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. of white first-time, full-time college students complete a degree within four years, compared to 20.4% of black students, 26.4% of Hispanic students, 42.8% of Asian Pacific Islander students, so they get a little bit more there, and 18.8% for Native American students, and that's the National Center for Education Statistics, again, American, 2010. And I can just hear the uh, human biodiversity racists uh, spinning that to be, you know, people of color are dumber than white people, which is completely unfounded in reality and contradicted by vast bodies of and academic totally research. Totally terrible. We had a eugenics discussion at dinner today. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that brings to mind, there's a cartoon that I'm sure we can link to in the show notes um, showing the difference between equality and justice. Yes, I saw that today. Uh, oh, just today? Well, I've seen it before, but I was... Oh, is that the boxes? Yeah, so there are are three kids, and they're all trying to look over a wall. Um, And equality is the short kid, the medium-sized kid, and the tall kid all standing against the wall, and only the tall kid can see over it. Because Uh, they're all on one box each. Right, and uh, Justice has all of them on varying sizes of uh, support so that they can all see over the wall. Yeah. Sometimes it's equality versus equity. Yes, that was the... That's been given, but sometimes it's justice, yeah. Uh, that was not the comic that I was thinking of. Uh, there's another one we can link to in the show notes that I can discuss later, because <laughs> we want to move on, I'm sure. Yeah, so when we're talking about uh, privilege and oppression, it's also really important to know that privileges and oppressions don't exist independently of one another. Um, and when you have sort of stacks of privileges or oppressions, they can intersect. And so Laura's going to tell us about that. Right. This was a new term to me. I'm, truth be told, I am not very familiar with this with um, this whole discussion. So this You're is all like very a new brand to me. New social justice warrior. Uh, well, <laughs> in terms of the the specifics of the conversation and and the whole um, the, the the whole privilege concept, you know, I I've learned that it's something that has existed, but I'm not in, um, familiar with the ins and outs of all of it. This was interesting. So the term intersectionality, I do want to point out, was first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. The idea behind it is that different areas of a person's life will give different types of privilege or oppression, right? So it's not just all of those different areas will interact together. So we can't just look at someone's life in terms of their gender and say, oh, you're privileged or you're oppressed, right? Because we, a person doesn't exist just as the gender with which they identify or just as the race with which they identify or however it happens to be, right? We exist in multiple facets, right? And it, it comes down to everything. So it's not just gender. It's not just race. It's this, it's any kind of sexual identity as well. Their abilities or disabilities, um, any, really anything that you can think of. Socioeconomic status is a really big one as well. Body size is one that's huge for a lot of people as well. No pun intended. No pun intended. Oh, God. (laughs) Body size is another facet that can come with um, privilege or oppression as well. So we need to think of it. (laughs) Thank you, Lauren. (laughs) 
we, it's important to think that our privileges don't exist in separate spheres. It's all, um, it's multidimensional. What's important to know is that if you have privilege in some areas of life, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily entirely privileged. Conversely, if you are at a disadvantage in some areas of your life, it doesn't mean that you are entirely disadvantaged, right? You may have other privileges that you need to be aware of and you will inform the way that you experience the world and experience perhaps your oppression, right? So if you're left-handed, you're not less well-off than like a disabled black guy who's right-handed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, as a left-hander, I'm going to take offense to that. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's lots of things like not that. Really. So just even more so, not just knowing that you can have multiple privileges or um, areas where you're at a disadvantage in your life, but that they really, your experience of life is really going to be affected by your specific privileges or disadvantages. A great example of intersectionality is... Uh, taking the the situation that uh, many black women, for example, face. So black women are often discriminated against on several bases. On their race, they're they're a person of color, right, which is often um, comes with disadvantage in a white society like ours. They're also women, you know, they're they're not men, so they come with they have some disadvantages there. However, in pe in people for whom these things are true these cannot be looked at as two separate things, right? They don't have a, a part of their, their life that is woman and a part of their life that is, that is black or of color, for example. They live their entire life as both of those things. So their experience of the privileges of others and their own disadvantages is very different than someone who is living as a woman but not as a person of color or someone who's a person of color but not a woman. We have to be aware that the more disadvantages that we, you may be living with, the more your experience is going to be shaped differently. And so it's very important to for everyone to be aware that we can't just generalize. And really that's what it comes down to. If we generalize, well, all women live with these disadvantages, well, that's not true, right? Because there are billions of women on the planet, all with different socioeconomic status, different um, relationship status, all, all sorts of education levels, all these different things. So we can't generalize like that. And we need to really look at how are all of these different factors that this person is living with coming together to, to create their, their experience of, say, disadvantage or privilege otherwise. I'm going to take an example from the Intersectionality 101 feed on Reddit, which was linked to from a link that Ashlyn um, sent to me, which we'll put in the show notes. They have an example here that is also very important to realize that um, they use the example of someone like Colin Powell. So if you're not ex familiar with someone uh, with Colin Powell, he was State? Secretary of yeah, State? He was a general. He was a general, right. Um, but, he, yes. <laughs> but he is no longer he's in office, right? He's retired. He's, he's retired. He was he was in office during the, the George W. Bush years in the U.S. And, 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 and before that. But that's yeah. where, that's when I came of age. So that's where <laughs> I heard of him. Anyway, very, very <laughs> prominent figure in American politics. So the quote on this page here is, many, um, many people argue that Colin Powell's success as one black man out of millions is proof that discrimination based on race has been or is close to being eradicated in the United States. But, promote, <laughs> but proponents of the theory of matrix of, do, of domination or just the intersectionality would argue that this overlooks issues of social class, gender, and age. 
Colin Powell being an upper-class, middle-aged, elderly male. So he does have some, he does live with some disadvantages in life. You know, he's a person of color. However, he lives with many privileges as well. So his experience would not be, it would not be fair to generalize his experience of being able to be very successful and prominent of that to the experience of other people living, uh, other people who are um, of color or um, other disadvantages because he has many privileges and, and that shapes his experience. And even among black men, the discrimination will vary depending on how light or dark your skin tone is. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of these different factors that just sort of stack and, and smoosh together into a giant ball of squishy privilege pressure. And that was, that was one thing that I found too when I was looking at these criticisms of privilege. And one of the strongest criticisms is that it is, uh, as a concept, it's a little too broad or, or crude uh, because a lot of people think privilege is either something you have or you haven't. And obviously, yeah, Mm. and and as we've been discussing, it's way more complicated than that. But even when you just look at uh, the idea of white privilege uh, as something that white people have and people of color do not, um, Lawrence Blum offered uh, what he calls a mild critique uh, based (laughs) on the stratification (laughs) of American culture, which goes far beyond just white on top, non-white on the bottom. There appear, according to the research, to be differences between Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Cambodian peoples in terms of the privilege they have within those sort of broad ethnic groups. Uh, And uh, when you're talking about uh, people of uh, African descent, uh, there are differences in privilege between African Americans, more recent black immigrants from the Caribbean, and m- more recent black immigrants from Africa. Sure. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you come from in Africa, because it's a heck of a big place. We can't just <laughs> it, say Africa as in... It is indeed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a continent here. Yeah. There are various levels. <laughs> I, I have a lot of thoughts on the, the concept of like Colin Powell, but... My, my examples are a little bit older, and it's a little difficult to talk about now because it's Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if we want to start unpacking that. And yeah. I think I'll leave it there with just the, he wanted to show the upper class people of color. And it, I don't know if, if you guys remember back in, the, back in the 80s when the show came on the air. I think it was 86. Yeah. Um, people are saying, well, yeah, I've never seen that on TV before, but that's how I live my life. And other people are saying, see, racism is solved because there is an affluent black family on TV. <laughs> no. Right. The, the important thing here is that if you say there is a, or there is one person then, of this yeah. group that has made it, then you also, or that has is doing whatever, then we need to think back, okay, well, can we really generalize? Like, is this generalizable, or is this, like, a very kind of fortunate person that was able to climb you know, surpass those difficulty yeah. settings and gets, really get there, right? It gets back into the, if you go even further back, where you say, oh, he's a credit to his race. Mm. I don't right. know if anybody oh, remembers. Th- yeah, okay, yeah. I'm going to stop talking now because <laughs> all I can remember is bad things. The Cosby Show is uh, started in 84. Uh, in, in case anyone is curious, and uh, Cosby himself, aside from the more recent uh critiques, shall we say, about him raping people. Mm-hmm. It, it ain't uh, just recent. Yeah, I'm right. just going to no, put that fair. out there. But that's what he's, he's undergoing another media cycle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, he has also been widely criticized by uh, other comedians of color for basically spending a lot of his time and uh, and his platform telling you know black people to pull their pants up. Yeah. Right. Uh, so now that we've got a few of the definitions down, uh, I wanted to talk about some recent events and some things that have been going on in our local community. Uh, so I asked Jem to talk about Shirtstorm. Oh god, the shirt thing, right? Shirtgate, because uh, people are dumb and every scandal has to have gate uh, suffix to it. Or or Shirtgazi, if, uh, <laughs> if you want to use wow. one fake scandal to reference another. I think that's kind uh, of fitting, actually. <laughs> yeah, or Shirtstorm, as yeah. Ashlyn said, if you fancy that you're clever. I, I like thinking that I'm clever, yeah. I like Shirtstorm. Okay. All, right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> the gate one, shaking his cane. Yeah, the uh, gate one just drives me <laughs> bat shirt every time I hear it. <laughs> at least, at least, now that we have the fake Benghazi scandal, people are starting to to, to switch it up from time to time, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes it's Gamergate, sometimes it's Gamergazi. Uh, by the way, if you think Gamergate is a, a legitimate thing, thing that is that you should be tweeting about with hashtag Gamergate, feel free to not, never listen to our show again. <laughs> we don't need you as a listener. We're not interested in <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, but, give us your real address. Even one so, star, we'd love to yeah. you know, ban you. We'd love to debate. <laughs> yeah. so, we might talk. Yeah. So, uh, you, you folks uh, all heard about this, this thing? Yeah? Okay. So... It all started, I'll give a recap for any uh, people our, living rock, under a rock. our listeners who, who are not familiar <laughs> with this particular controversy. Uh, it all started with the Rosetta mission to put the Philae lander on Comet 67P. Yeah, uh, super which, cool mission. Which was uh, successful a few weeks ago. Ashlyn, you didn't return her high five. I thought it would be too loud in the microphone. Okay, high five. <laughs> right. There you go. Science! <laughs> she blinded me. Uh, when we got confirmation that Philae had landed on the comet and uh, was, uh, you know, we started getting the, the data back from the lander itself, uh, Matt Taylor, who was one of the project scientists, was interviewed by several media outlets about the mission. During this interview, he was inexplicably wearing a, what appeared to be a bowling shirt covered with sexy pinup ladies wielding guns. Uh, you know, it looked it, his shirt looked like the side of like an '80s arcade cabinet for you know. Some, it looked like the side of an '80s van. That <laughs> didn't want to get into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was super uh, tacky, even like disregarding the but poor a, taste. In but it. a female friend made it for. Right. Sorry. So uh, he also chose to describe the complexities of the mission. Thus, she's sexy, but I never said she was easy. Mm-hmm. Get it? Great it's a joke. Choice of words. Uh, so many women and plenty of men, to be honest, complained that this was both sexist and just extremely unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. uh, some uh, some going so far as to wonder how this sort of attitude affected the women who worked on the project. A uh, friend of the show, Greta Christina, uh, wrote about this at length, and we'll we'll link to her her piece in the show notes. And she skewered criticism that this was all about sex negativity, you know, that feminists are simply prudes, which is, you know, one of the things that comes up every time you turn over this particular mm-hmm. rock. I definitely hate sex all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> it's uh, manifestly ridiculous. Uh, Greta herself writes erotica and describes herself as a pornographer. So uh, what she had to say was this, quote, So during an interview about your team's big science achievement, while wearing a shirt with scantily clad pinup girls does not say sex is awesome. It says women are for sex. 
It says, every woman working on this project, every woman working on a similar project, every woman in STEM, every woman aspiring to work in STEM, this is what I think of you. Every girl dreaming of working in STEM someday, this is what I think of you when you're grown up. Tits and ass. That's what you are to me. And every one of Taylor's colleagues and bosses, every person on the TV crew who saw that shirt and didn't say, dude, not cool, every one of them said this to all those women and girls. Yeah, this is the norm in the field. If you decide to work here, this is what you're running into. Day in, day after day, day after day after day. Get used to it or get the hell out. So that's, that's what Greta had to say. Uh, and, and you should all buy her book of porn because it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Bending. <laughs> I, I haven't read that particular uh, book of hers, but I'm sure it's great because I like all of her books that I have read. Uh, There's unicorn sex, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Matt Taylor himself seems to have taken this criticism to heart, and he apologized publicly and tearfully the next day. Uh, I mean, the guy was called out, mm -hmm. he seems to have realized his mistake, he apologized, and that should be that, right guys? Yep. I, and I'm sure you'll mention this, but one of the ongoing things is like, oh, you just hate the guy and you want to eviscerate him, and no, like, he apologized, and I thought he did a good job, and I have nothing against the guy. He seems like a cool dude. Yeah. He put a lander on a comet. Well, he and a very large team of other people. <laughs> yeah. But but they made him cry, guys. Like, why are we why are we making him cry? So obviously, th that wasn't the end of it. Uh, the response was predictably ugly. Critics uh, received the usual cavalcade of graphic rape and death threats, along with criticism from conservative new news agencies that was perhaps marginally more civil, but no more thought provoking. It still uh, goes on the bingo card. Yeah, a piece in the Federalist. God. Uh, claimed that it's time to push back against feminist bullies uh, before ranting semi-coherently about progressive thought police. Uh, whenever something like this comes up, people are quick to dismiss the specifics of the situation as not a big deal. Aren't there more important things we can talk about? Insert tired reference to Dawkins' Dear Muslima here. So Phil Plate, the bad astronomer, wrote about this. He said, if you think this isn't a big deal, well, by itself, it's not a huge one. But it's not by itself, is it? This event didn't happen in a vacuum. It comes when there is still a tremendously leaky pipeline for women from undergraduate science classes to professional scientists. It comes when having a female name on an application to do research at a university makes it less likely to get accepted and have your research paper cited less. It comes when there is still not even close to parity in hiring and retaining women in the sciences. So yeah, it's just a shirt, and it's just an ad, it's just a saying, it's just a TV show, it's just the internet, and you almost make as much as a man does. <laughs> I have stats on how much of <laughs> <laughs> uh, The whole thing, uh, I mean, Lewis's Law has been quoted several times in regards to the whole thing. Uh, Lewis's Law is a quote from Helen Lewis, who is a journalist, and in 2012 she said on Twitter, uh, the comments on any article about feminism justify feminism, uh, which has since been uh, termed Lewis's Law, as mm -hmm. I said, and yeah. it's so, so true. <laughs> we need to put that on t-shirts. And... It is! I'm sure you okay. can find some. Yeah. Well, Peter Myers also uh, weighed in, and just briefly he said... Having great big problems does not d diminish the smaller problems into non-existence. That women in Africa are being burned as witches does not mean there is no pay gap between the sexes. 
you don't use a rank you don't get to use a ranking of social ills to pretend that lesser ones are to be ignored. Uh, I, I would add that being incredibly accomplished, as Matt Taylor obviously is, doesn't get you a free pass when it comes to making mistakes. This came up uh, last episode when we talked about James Randi. Just as people shouldn't see a criticism of some aspect of something, whether it's a person or a movement or whatever, as an excuse to, to dismiss the whole thing as worthless, they shouldn't see worthy and worthwhile accomplishments as an excuse to ignore all criticism. That's hero worship, and it's nonsense. Yes, this fellow made a great contribution to a scientific endeavor, but that doesn't mean he didn't also make a mistake. And we should be able to talk about that honestly without this avalanche of bullshit raining down on us from all of these dudes who just want to say, hey, science is cool and sexy ladies are cool. So, Jim, what does this have to do with privilege? What is it? <laughs> it's his privilege as a right ma- white male to rant at us. It is. My privilege as a, as a podcaster. Matt Taylor is in a position where he can wear something that is uh, totally inappropriate, unprofessional, and not. And, be, and he's secure in his position, and he doesn't have to worry about offending anybody um, and not everybody would have to not everybody would be in that position but he's also and perhaps more importantly he's in a position as a white straight guy where it's hard for me I, I, I don't want to I don't want to go on a, on a straight white guy rant about uh, about you know sexy lady images um, but he is in a position where it is the norm for uh, the types of bodies that he's attracted to, to be plastered everywhere. So it's really easy for him to not see this as a big deal because you just have to look at a billboard or an internet pop-up ad or anything and you see this sort of thing all the time. So it's so I guess it's easy for him. He's privileged in, in that he doesn't see the water that he's swimming in, right. right? And that's not a position that other people who are not you know, straight men are in. And I would add that he has the privilege of, some people have have said this as well, if if a woman wore a shirt that was covered in images of, you know, half-naked men, that would be remarkable enough for people to be like, wow, that is a weird fashion choice. (laughs) (laughs) We can't even get penis on you know, movies without getting an X rating. Yeah, there was only. I think there's only been one in Game of Thrones so far. No. Oh no, there have been a two. I, maybe. I think there have been a couple. Okay. Two penises. But certainly uh-huh. not as many. <laughs> Least I, child friendly Sesame Street ever. Um, but also, and I, I can't remember if this was um, Greta's piece or another piece that I read. If a woman had come to work that day wearing what those women on that shirt were wearing that would have been totally unprofessional and they probably wouldn't have been broadcast to the world but because these women were on a shirt that a man was wearing that was totally cool (laughs) if a woman dresses with a sweater that hugs her breasts too tightly she's called too sexy and unprofessional if she dresses in a way that covers up most of her body she's a prude and she might not get the same advantages um, that somebody who 
carefully toes that very thin and blurry line in between too sexy and too prudish that women are expected to wear all the time would get. And so it's, it's a kind of privilege that he can wear on his body an image of a woman wearing something that a woman herself could not wear to that same press conference. And that brings up a related point. I've, I've often heard, and I'll be honest, in the past I have complained of it myself before I reached my own Enlightenment. Cur current mild level of understanding of the stuff that other people have to go through. Uh, it's been commented in the past that you have a, a, a business environment. Uh, all men get to wear is you know, a suit or, you know, a button-down shirt and slacks. You know, that's the dress code for men. But women can wear whatever they want, <laughs> it w which is total nonsense bullshit because what's actually going on is women are being judged constantly on their appearances, and men aren't. There was a, a recent... Yes. The, <laughs> They're both pointing I at each know. other. I know. see this. <laughs> that's where I was going. We're there was, in Australia. There was an Australian newscaster who recently, for was it a full year? It was a full year. A full year, except for, I think, a, a handful of dry cleanings. But there was a full year where he wore the exact same suit on air every single night, and nobody commented on it. And you might say, well, people don't comment on, you know, news anchors' choices of attire. Oh, However, <laughs> his female co-anchor had got all sorts of criticisms about the sort of things that she was wearing. It was too varied, or it was, or it popped too much, or she wore the same thing a couple broadcasts in a row, or whatever. You know, that sort of nonsense goes on all the time, but we we don't notice it. Yeah, and I think almost my favorite part of that whole article was the fact that he had said that he was going to wear the same suit until someone commented on it, and then he just gave up. <laughs> no one did. Yeah. He's like, well, it's been a year. I guess this isn't happening. Another issue that's been not in the news, but in our local atheist and skeptical sphere, uh, has been the issue of white male privilege and the fact that so many of the people in our community have trouble seeing it. Hello. <laughs> so, I recently joined a Facebook group for a local humanist organization. Within a week, there was a post from a woman saying, uh, quote, This year, my solstice wish is for more prophets of humanism that aren't white guys. Ramen. So a simple pastafarian prayer for more prophets of humanism that are not white guys. I think it's pronounced ramen. Yeah, I was going to yeah. correct. I, I'm, not, I'm never sure, because ramen. I think it's funnier that way, but maybe not. <laughs> ramen immediately like within minutes the comments got angry about this post uh, there were white guys saying that they felt devalued they felt that if we wanted more diversity then their contributions must not be wanted uh quote a real f***ing demotivator and when several of us tried to argue that no we're not saying that we want you to stop talking we just want more. We want more people of color. We want more women. Additional voices. More exactly. voices in the wilderness. More of everything. Mm -hmm. um, this was met with resistance. And, well, no, but the way that you phrased that was wrong. You know, <laughs> or <laughs> the, the, when you single out white guys, then that's not right. It's reverse racism. It's reverse <laughs> sexism. <laughs> okay, well, now I have to post that reverse racism video on the... Uh... <laughs> 
so there were there's a lot of back and forth um, about how even if we're saying things like you know it would be great if the white guys could step aside maybe occasionally and let some other voices speak uh, this was apparently the biggest bone of contention like oh now you're telling us to just sit down and shut up and it was taken so far out of a context that I understand that I was completely taken aback um, the person who posted the original comment was banned from the group within the week. Other people who got involved in the debate left the group. Friendships have been destroyed over it. I, I was just completely thrown by this display of ridiculousness in our own local group. I, I, I regret to say that I did not expect it. <laughs> you know, and maybe I should stop expecting things like that because it, it just gets me down every time. I have the privilege of seeing them as enlightened people <laughs> and that they're coming from the same background you Yeah, are. you know, I guess I, I expected better. I guess it hasn't even really been resolved because the whole thing just spun out of control and then people were like, okay, I guess we shouldn't talk about this anymore because it's, you know, making people upset. So let's just sweep it under oh, the rug right. and mm. we'll go back to the status quo. Yeah. Don't want to rock the boat, guys. Big tent. <laughs> yeah. Big tent. It's never happened. It's all, never happened. All the while, everybody's fleeing out the back of the tent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had to bring you so much tea that night. <laughs> <laughs> she was just on the internet like, this is wrong. This is so wrong. Someone is wrong on the internet. Yes. And it just seemed like Instead of reading the posts that uh, this original commenter and myself and a couple of other people were making, people were 100% reading into it what they wanted to hear or what they thought that they were reading uh, in the vein of, we hate white guys and we want you to all stop talking so that the women's can talk. Uh, so that's been frustrating. There's been, um, especially around the, the whole shirt storm thing, there have been more uh, posts in this group about that um, that have been deleted after it got started again in the comments. Um, it, yeah, just really demotivated. I don't have a moral to this story. It's, it's just a thing that has happened. I feel like the original post was something that I could agree with so readily and so heartily that it's baffling to me that it got to where it did. So speaking as, uh, as the token white guy who w uh, was at one point the leader of a skeptic group, <laughs> can only say that I'm very grateful to the many women and people of color who, and folk of other uh, folk backgrounds. Folk who ain't you. Yeah, folk who ain't me. Who took the time to sort of uh, uh, honestly inform me about things that I just hadn't been aware of. And I think that it's very sad that so many people take this statement as an attack on white guys. On status quo. Yeah, I've, I, you know, I... I have, after engaging in long discussions, unfriended a few people about it. I have been accused of misandry more, <laughs> more times than I can count, and uh, it, it, like, it just it, it seems unbelievable to me because obviously the the intent here wasn't to say you white guys who are leading these groups don't have anything to offer. It's that there are a certain number of spaces available for, there are a certain number of voices that are being heard in the movement. And f in order for other people to be heard, some people need to take a step back. That doesn't mean they need to shut up and never say anything. It just means, 
hey, maybe instead of always presenting your own opinion on something, say, hey, this person has an interesting opinion, let's talk to them. Absolutely. Uh, another issue that gets brought up in these discussions all the time is uh, along the lines of this comment that I'll just read anonymously. Um, so one of the guys uh, that's being uh, very angry about this post, um, uh, he's a humble, kind, and helpful person. We need him in our movement, and we need uh, these other people too who are arguing for it, and everyone else. I don't give uh, expletive if they are men, women, children, and androids. We need everyone, and we need to stop being so damned divisive. Because asking for more voices is divisive. Mm -hmm. We're splitting up our movement by asking to include more people. Right. I think that the bone of contention is that people see it as censorious. Mm. People see it as you're telling these people they need to shut up. And that's not the point. I mean, the point is, there are only uh, so many voices that are going to be heard. And so it's the... It, it behooves people who look like me, who happen to have a voice, to step back more often than I do, frankly, <laughs> <laughs> and let other people talk. This comes back the idea of the othering. Right now, there I'm sure there were people of different backgrounds and and such making comments on both sides of this issue. I I fully admit I have not been privy to this except for sort of third party Facebook posts and, and such. For a lot of people, you know, when you when you say something, for example, and in, in that um, solstice wish, you know, fewer white guys, for example, mm -hmm. it wasn't even fewer white guys. Oh, not even fewer. More, more not voices that were not, not white guys. Not yeah. more not yeah. white guys, right? Yeah. yeah, which is a very inclusive I way know, of right? putting it. Um, but it comes back to the idea of othering, um, because I think it, I think a lot of the people who were very angry, they're threatened because they saw themselves, they could identify with the other than white guys really group, interesting right? Point. So they can see, well, I could be part of that group, so that's threatening to me personally. Whereas they don't identify with the non-white part of it, so it's not part of their sphere, right? And this is something that happens a lot in privilege, and something that I've read a lot of as I was reading on the intersectionality. Yeah, that part of it is that if you identify with it, it's a lot more it, it, it's a lot more scary and jarring, and so you're going to come back with a lot of hostility and anger and those gut reactions defensiveness. that and, and defensiveness, especially there. if you've <clears throat> never had to feel these feelings before. That's yeah. exactly it, right? I'm also I don't want to disparage anybody when I say this, but some of this behavior reminds me of when I tell my almost two-year-old that she cannot have chocolate, okay? Um, chocolate! Chocolate! <laughs> you know, she'll be asking for it, and she expects that she gets what she wants, because, because that's... The world revolves that, around The her. world revolves around an almost two-year-old, right? And so when you tell her, no, it is the end of the world, she, she can't... <laughs> she can't deal with it. And, you know, in a more extreme example, I'm thinking of kids that never get told no. Right? If you never get told no, every time you ask for something, you get that thing. The first time you get told no, your world is shattered because, you, like you say, Lauren, you, like, you have no understanding, you have no resilience to deal with this at all, right? So if you're starting at 100% everything that you want, and suddenly you feel like, well, now I'm down to 98%, well, that's 2% less. I can't handle that, right? I don't know how to handle that. That could be me that I have that has to yeah. shut up or whatever yeah. you read into it. 
but you know you identify it and then you don't know how to deal with these feelings yeah i hadn't thought of it as them finding themselves othered for the first time let's say you're working in a job and you are assistant manager and your boss comes and says hey we're we're recognizing that we are lacking in diversity so we're going to have a diversity hiring initiative we're going to try to bring in more people of diverse backgrounds you are now here in your assistant managership and you're like i was i was right near the top of the ladder i was i was almost there i'd almost made it to you know let's say you want to be manager or whatever and now these other people are coming in and because of this diversity initiative there we're going to want to promote them faster and so now you have competition right and you've earned where you are and i think it's it's easy when you frame it in that way to understand like it's not right but i think it's easy to understand why people suddenly might feel threatened but explanation is not exculpation sure yeah absolutely just because we understand why they're acting like children doesn't mean that they should be acting <laughs> right. like children well it it comes back to the saying that people have about straight guys who get hit on by gay guys they don't like to be treated by men how they treat women. Um, I thought I would uh, end there, but in the past week there have been some <laughs> interesting developments. So I just wanted to relate a story. I am on the board of directors of Rainbow Harmony Project, and I'm currently facing removal from that board. Can you tell us what the Rainbow Harmony Project is? Absolutely. We're uh, an LGBTT chorus here in Winnipeg. Uh, we we're awesome. We're pretty awesome, yeah. We put on some great concerts, um, and uh, our mission statement is we are a voluntary, not-for-profit community chorus incorporated under the laws of Manitoba to provide an opportunity for people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, two-spirit, and their friends to sing together. The primary purpose of the organization is to promote musical excellence and performance by creating and maintaining a mixed chorus, providing the chorus with competent professional artistic leadership, and being a visible, respected member of the Manitoba arts community. We, while striving to achieve this purpose, the organization seeks to provide social and fellowship experience to enrich the lives of its members, promote education and cultural enrichment of its members and audiences, foster spirit and pride in the GLBTT community, and present a positive image of the GLBTT community to the general public by being identified as an organization of individuals who are making a contribution to the entire community through musical performance. That's what we do. I just go to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds pretty good, right? And I've been a member of the board for several years now. Uh, we recently sang at the Transgender Day of Remembrance. After the performance, we went to a board meeting, and we were discussing ways in which um, we could make the chorus more welcoming to transgender people. And one of the things that I suggested was to put people's preferred pronouns on our name tags, because we all wear name tags to every rehearsal, it wouldn't be a big deal to put pronouns on them. And one of the guys on the board uh, piped up at that point and just said, but I don't understand why we would do that. You don't use pronouns when you're talking to someone. And it just struck me as this, it was such a huge example of someone not seeing their privilege because he is a male who looks very male and has never questioned that identity and has never been identified as anything other than a male for his entire life. He has no idea how much people use pronouns to refer to each other. 
Uh, when Maybe you're, not when speaking directly. Sure, but even when you are speaking directly, yeah. when you're speaking in a group of people, when you're speaking about somebody and they happen to be nearby, we use pronouns so often. Mm -hmm. And for him to not be aware of that and to even ask, like, well, why would we do that? Why would we put someone's preferred pronouns on? Because they matter to people. Because it's a big deal for people who get misgendered all the time. And I just did that in uh, two podcasts ago. I assumed based on somebody's name that uh, their preferred pronoun was uh, was one set of pronouns, and I was mistaken. So I went back and I just I just clipped the episode so that it now represents uh, who they are better because I was I was quoting them. But it's it's really easy to make that mistake. But you have to be open to admitting you made a mistake. Yeah. And try try to work to correct that. That yeah, seems absolutely. like a great initiative that you're proposing. <laughs> and. I had also spoken at this meeting um, to our former director and brought up a few of his behaviors which in the past were problematic and had led to a, a transgendered person leaving the choir because she was no longer comfortable with the choir. Um, and uh, now I'm being brought up to the board as uh, the first person in the history of Rainbow Harmony Project to be removed as a director. Um, because they didn't like that I was confrontational about it. They didn't like that I spoke aggressively about it. I find it extremely interesting that the president of our board has basically the exact same communication style as I do. He doesn't see a problem with this because he's the president and I'm not. And there's a very large undercurrent of, I'm a man and you're not. And the other issue that this is all stemming around is the issue of accessibility in the choir. It just so happens that at the exact same meeting, I brought up the fact that we in the choir are expected to do a lot of movement and it would be a lot more welcoming to people uh, with disabilities if there was an explicitly stated this is what we're going to do with this part but people who maybe have more difficulty moving around can do this other thing. Or who don't want to. Move. Or who do, don't want to, exactly. I was told that uh, it would not be necessary to further discuss this and that the uh, current artistic director and conductor uh, wasn't interested in having a conversation with me because I'm too aggressive about the things that I am uh, passionate about. Jesus, did you get called bossy too? <laughs> there was another B word, but it wasn't bossy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the whole thing is just an incredible display of people not understanding how their privilege is affecting their views of things and not understanding girls can also talk in ways that make people uncomfortable and that's okay. Well, it's, it's <laughs> that old adage that what is considered assertive in a man is aggressive in a woman, yeah. Yeah. right? So just thought I would uh, bring that up. Um, it's, it's funny that it happens in a, another community that doesn't see as much privilege as, say, the straight community. Mm -hmm. And here we are asserting privileges that we do have as opposed to ones that we may lack. Yeah, and there's layers and layers of, uh, throughout history, one oppressed group oppressing other groups and, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, all the way down the chain because it's the way that we, as a society, function You're right clawing now. your way up the ladder, right? Exactly. It, it yeah. wasn't the cool kids who picked on the, the dweebs in high school. It was the kids <laughs> in the middle of the pack. And I mean, I just want to say RHP is an amazing organization overall. Most of the members are great our current administration just seems to have a bit of a... I, I don't want anybody to stay away from the choir because of this. Just maybe 
don't get excited about joining the board right away. <laughs> <laughs> We're working towards change. We really yeah. are. You know, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm fighting it. I'm gonna stay on the board if I can. We'll see if mm -hmm. I can convince enough people to get the votes that I need to stay on the board. So, here's hoping. We'll give you an update, maybe. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say, we've talked a little bit on this podcast about making mistakes, and we've all made mistakes. We've all been shown our privilege, and it it is uh, sometimes really hard to admit that. So what you, our listeners, can do is when somebody says, hey, check your privilege, um, you know, just consider the ways in which you aren't affected by things that these other people are being affected by. Uh, just do it. Do a little bit of self-examination and think about it a bit. And it's okay to be wrong. It's okay that you made a mistake. And you, you can try to do better in the future. You know, it, making a mistake doesn't make you a bad person. And I wanted to add that, especially us, I welcome and accept any criticism of anything that any of us says. Please call us out on our behavior. You know, mm -hmm. if we've said something that doesn't sit right with you or that you would like us to either explain further or you want to tell us why we're wrong, go for it. We yeah. are totally open to that and we're willing to examine what we've said and go, you know, yeah, that was, that was kind of a crappy thing for me to say. Hey, we, we like praise too. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't get us also wrong. Good. You know, you yeah. can email us at luepodcast at winnipegskeptics.com or you can reach out on Twitter at luepodcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash luepodcast. We love feedback. We love reviews on iTunes <laughs> or Stitcher. But we, we, we are willing to take your criticism. Yeah. And, and that goes for all of our podcasts, not just this one. Uh, it also goes for, you know, anything we post online. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes organizations have policies like, you know, these are our anti-oppression guidelines. But then when the organizers themselves are called out, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't mean that and this is how it is. And they, they try and cover their asses instead of admitting that they were wrong. And I, I would like to hope that we would not behave that way. <laughs> yeah. This is our commitment to being better than that anyway. We're always learning. I just wanted to say, by means of a segue, that this is the holiday season, and it is, as the holiday season, I'm sorry, should I be saying Christmas season? <laughs> it is the season to be uh, jolly. To be jolly. But it's a season that brings out a lot of Christian privilege. You see the so-called war on Christmas everywhere, <laughs> uh, and, and we have discussed to death on our holiday shows for the last few years, the so-called war on Christmas. And this ties into Christian privilege. For many Christians, Christmas is the default. So of course you just say Merry Christmas to somebody, even if you don't know what their particular holiday inclinations might be. When, when Christians see happy holidays, they see it as an attack on their right to ignore the fact that not everybody celebrates Christmas, or that some not people might, might deign to <laughs> yes. celebrate hashtag. a different holiday. Yeah, hashtag not all Christians. Uh, I love Christmas. My favorite time of the year. It's my favorite time to curl up with a mug of cocoa and an episode of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> it is also my favorite time to play Name That Holiday Tradition. <laughs> Yay! 
So it's, uh, it's that time of year again when we celebrate our own specific traditions and highlight how ignorant we are of the traditions of others. Awesome. When did we get woo girls on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> get some tea and dance and we go wild. Yeah. In our uh, Christmas episode last year when we talked about the history of the nativity story, I led the crew in a game of Santa Fact or Santa Fiction, where I quizzed the panel about Christmas traditions. So this year, we'll be talking about non-Christian, non-Christmas holidays and traditions. No, well, mostly. Mo- mostly. Mostly. I mean... I'm Googling nothing. Because this is, this is a holiday uh, tradition. Christmas is a hungry monster, so Christmas has since absorbed a few of these traditions. But we'll see how it goes. So the way the game works is uh, we will have five rounds, and each round I will present the rest of the panel with the name of a holiday tradition and then three possible descriptions of it. Anyone who can identify which description is the correct one will score a point. Uh, I will note that of the three traditions I describe, one will be the correct one, a second one will be a real tradition that is actually called something else, and a third one will be one that I just made up. Hopefully, mm-hmm. by the end, everyone will lo- know a little bit more about a few of the many holiday traditions celebrated around the world. Uh, and we could, if uh, you folks are interested, make it more interesting by penalizing anyone who guesses the one that I made up. But let's just let's just uh, skip that. I don't want anyone to have a negative score at the end. Uh, so let's start with uh, with Can round you one. Always, <laughs> it's Jem. <laughs> Starting with round one. Starting with round <laughs> one. As one usually does. As one usually does. Is Belfana a the Chilean solstice spider who defends children from evil spirits oh during God, the longest nights of the world? <laughs> B, a Guatemalan tradition in which garbage is burned to cleanse the holiday of ill luck. Or C, a kindly old Italian witch who delivers gifts to children in exchange for broccoli, sausage, and wine. We will start mm. with Laura. Aww, I want the first one and the last one to be true, because <laughs> I like both of those. I think I'm going to go with the first one. Hey, Laura goes with the, the Chilean, Chilean spider. solstice spider. I I love the idea of a solstice spider. That's amazing. Okay. Ashley? Uh, I'm going to try and apply some logic to this. I don't know if that's <laughs> smart. Um, Belfana sounds a little to me like Beltane, which has to do with fire. So I'm going to do the second one. Mm. Isn't Beltane Gaelic? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I say, it's only a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 I don't have anything else to go tradition. with. Okay. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Is it broccoli, comma sausage, or broccoli sausage? <laughs> it is broccoli, comma sausage. Okay. No vegan sausage here. Sorry. <laughs> Second comma and wine because you always use the cereal comma. You monsters. Don't Oxford at me. <laughs> wow. Pick one, hun. Don't be bummed. Chilean solstice spider, Guatemalan garbage burning, or kindly old Italian witch. Belfana. Kindly old Italian witch, because Belfana sounds Italian. Okay, yeah. well, all right. Oh, I'm that's gonna, a good one. Belfana sounds Italian. Yeah, Belfana does sound Italian because that is the correct one. Damn it! Ah! So, sausage! <laughs> Lauren takes an early lead with one point. 
Balfana is a kind old Italian witch whose name means, in Italian, giver of gifts. On the eve of Epiphany on January 5th, obliging parents leave out a plate of food, uh, local cuisine, uh, often broccoli with spiced sausage, sometimes a glass of wine, for the ugly crone, who flies around the world by broomstick and enters each house by chimney. On the morning of the Epiphany, children who behaved well awake to a bounty of treats and toys tucked into their stockings. La Quema del Diablo, or the Burning of the Devil, is a Guatemalan tradition. Yes, that, didn't pick the made-up one. Damn it. That has families collect trash from around their homes in early December to create a massive heap of refuse. The pile is topped with an effigy of the devil and set ablaze, cleansing evil spirits from the upcoming festivities. And the solstice spider is indeed something I just made up. Oh, <laughs> it's from the, he's going Lord of the Rings though. on you. Here. <laughs> well, use my non-nerdness against me, why don't you? <laughs> I was going to do like all the arms turning into a candelabra. But no. <laughs> okay, round two is Yalda. Yalda is that a a pagan New Year tradition in Northern Ireland in which communities gather to burn a giant straw woman. B, a Persian celebration symbolizing the victory of light over dark when some families stay awake all night to welcome the morning sun. Or C, a Hopi solstice celebration when the aboriginal people of Arizona welcome protective spirits down from the mountains. Yalda. How is Yalda spelled? We will start with Ashlyn, because Lauren is in the lead. Uh, Yalda is spelled... With a Y, not a J. I was wondering if there was an apostrophe in it. Uh, that is to be determined. Privileged information. <laughs> okay, this is interesting because the first one sounds like uh, St. Bridget's Day, which is which is indeed a Gaelic thing. Uh, the second one, the Persian festival, sounds like Sade, which is kind of pronounced the way you said that. Uh, which is a Persian festival of fire. And awesome. And hilariously, I have done events in both themes in the past year. And the third one, I have no idea. So I'm almost tempted to go with the third one, but because you won't answer the apostrophe question, I'm going to go with number two. You're going to go with number two. The Persian festival, yes. Laura. I have no idea, but I feel like... Oh, no, but the description went into went to serve me poorly last time. I was going to say, because you picked a specific um, group in a specific place, it sounded a little bit, the third one sounds a little bit more specific, so I thought, okay, maybe that's the real one, but then it's like, oh, the Chilean one was pretty specific, too. This is Jim. I know, I know, but I'm, but I'm, I'm world saying. building here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Nano on the brain. Uh, I don't know, they all sound quite plausible. I guess I am not familiar with any traditions of this sort. Um, so I will say, I'll go with the third one. Why, why not? So you're going with the Hopi Solstice Celebration. Okay. And Lauren, is it a pagan New Year tradition in Northern Ireland? A Persian Solstice Celebration? Or the, Ho- the Hopi Aboriginal Celebration? Well, the first one sounds like it needs um, Nicolas Cage kicking people in the face. Uh, (laughs) So so I'm going to go with number two. I'm going with Ashlyn. Persian. Because you won't tell me how it's spelled. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, uh, Yalda, or Sab e Yalda, or Sab e Chela. Uh, yeah. Although I, those, uh, I'll, ha- I'll have to get Ali to do the pronunciations <laughs> for these. Um, is uh, okay. an Iranian or Persian celebration of the winter solstice. Uh, so it has uh, two different names and a couple of variations uh, in, in Persian. Uh, so it, it has a couple of names, uh, either uh, Yalda Night or the Night of the Great Forty. Uh, and it, in Iran, marks the last day of the month of Azar, or Azar, uh, and is viewed as the victory of light over dark and the birthday of the sun god Mithra. Uh, and it's a hundred yes. days after the uh, last day of summer. And traditional celebrations include special foods like nuts and pomegranates, and some families stay awake all night long to welcome the morning sun. If you're interested in celebrating it this year, you can come to the St. Norbert Arts Center on January 31st, because we're hosting a medieval event themed around a Turkish coffee house. And Ashlyn and I are cooking, and it's going to be amazing. That sounds awesome, actually. (laughs) It does. It sounds really good. Give me a link for the show notes. (laughs) Soyal is the winter solstice celebration of the Hopi Aboriginal people of northern Arizona when they welcome protective spirits from the mountains. At least you didn't make it up this time. (laughs) (laughs) Ceremonies and rituals include purification, dancing, and sometimes gift giving. And the burning straw woman uh, in northern Ireland is something that I made up, but there are plenty of straw effigies that are burned in Gaelic traditions and in... uh, other northern European traditions. They're like burning straw things. Like there's and, a straw goat that I found. Yeah. yeah. And, and in bad movies. Yeah. So I, I, I did my best to find something that I couldn't find an example of burning. <laughs> it was hard. So Burn all the things. So uh, the after round two, Lauren has two points. Ashlyn has one. And Laura has... Zero, Jen. Love for you. <laughs> that was... No, even that's on the decline. (laughs) You might end up with a negative score in love at the end of this. So, so maybe I should make Lauren go first since she since she is in the lead. Uh, uh, Allow the rest of you to benefit uh, from her wisdom. I might Dikio from her extensive knowledge of holiday traditions. (laughs) You hate Christmas. Okay. But she loves other traditions, apparently. I love Wikipedia. <laughs> well, I, I hope uh, uh, my pronunciation uh, will do this justice. Is is the Yolasvinar the name A, the name given to 13 Yule lads who either reward or terrorize Icelandic children around the holidays? B, the gray mare, an undead horse that travels from door to door, bringing good luck between Christmas and New Year. Or C, the seven candles that children in Norway light to represent the giants slain by folk hero Stavanger Harsfjord. Damn, I should know this. <laughs> you should. I, oh, Lauren. I, I know the horse is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the name is. Probably just shooting myself in the foot there. I'm going to go with the horse. B. Okay. Gray mare. Old gray mare. She ain't what she used to be. Gray mare. Okay. Ashlyn. Um, See, I also... The gray mare thing is ringing a bell for me, but I don't know if Jem is using my nerdery against me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is a thing from a fantasy novel. Nerdception! But I will also go with that. Okay. And Laura. 
Again, I have no idea. And I don't know uh, Scandinavian language as well enough to try to parse any of these kinds of things. That's what I was trying to do. (laughs) Either the 13 Yule Lads, the Grey Mare. Sorry, is it Yo Lasvenar or Yu Lasvenar? Yo Lasvenar. So, like, Y O? Or J. I'm not going to spell it. (laughs) It's not like an uh sound, it's an O sound. Thank you. Should I look at the spelling later and tell you how it's pronounced? <laughs> yes, that's that's probably a good idea. Um, I do have pronunciation guides for some of these. I kind of want to go with the group because they seem to know what they're talking about. But if you go with the group, you can't ever catch up. I don't think I can at this point anyway. <laughs> I don't know. It's like 20 so, questions. Um, and we're right in the middle. Uh... Sorry, what's the last one again? The last one is the seven candles that children in Norway light to represent the giants slain by one of their folk heroes. Um. Um, okay, I will do, I will not, as much as I think you guys are probably right, I'll just go with the third one, because why not? I don't know. Nar. And I have no idea. I swept you. Oh. <laughs> so the Yolas uh, Vinar is uh, the, or however it's pronounced, is the name given to the group of 13 Yule lads. See, it felt like that one was so obvious that you had to have made it up. <laughs> according like you looked to, at the word and said, oh, I bet I'll put these words in there, and it looks like that. According to Icelandic folklore, the Yule lads are the sons of mountain trolls that trek down into yes. town to oh. scare Icelandic children who miss. <laughs> behave before Christmas. I'm sorry, Thrim. <laughs> Though they're now nowadays usually depicted as a group of 13 kindly men who kind of look like Santa Claus, earlier versions of the tales depicted individual lads who ranged from simple pranksters like spoon liquor to <laughs> homicidal monsters who eat children. <laughs> they are often depicted along with the Yule Cat, a beast that will eat any child who does not receive new clothes for Christmas. <laughs> Wow, that's a harsh punishment. <laughs> but it makes the kids happy to get their socks. That, that is true. <laughs> I could go into why that is, but that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the Mariluid, or the Grey Mare, is a Welsh character that's that, it. that usually takes the form of an elaborately decorated horse skull attached to a long wooden pole and covered mm. with a sheet. The Grey Mare and her handlers travel through town in December and January, singing and knocking on doors to engage residents in rhyming contests. I totally did read that in a Mercedes Lackey book once. <laughs> How do you rhyme in Welsh? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> and I made up that thing about Stavanger Haffersfjord yeah. and the Giants. That was that name was Stavanger Haffersfjord is just two place names that I shoved together. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Next question. Okay, round four. This is the uh, penultimate round. There's one more to go after this. Is the Kinara A, the Peruvian solstice celebration honoring the Incan sun god with sacrifices? B, the candle holder used in North American Kwanzaa celebrations? Or C, a spiced fermented milk beverage popular around the holidays in Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus? And we will start again with Lauren, because she's still in the lead. <laughs> Don't make me choose. Can you say it again, please? Okay. Not the, not the choices, but just the name. Kinara. Although, as usual, I make no guarantee of correct yeah. pronunciation. Oh. 
it's the Kwanzaa thing. I'm really going to feel culturally insensitive if I don't choose it because I should know that. We'll go with the Kwanzaa thing. Okay. B, the candle holder used at Kwanzaa. Ashlyn? I feel like I've heard of the milk thing, but maybe this is just ridiculous, but... It's called eggnog. Um, I feel like if it was a Russian beverage, it would would have a harsher name. Kinara is kind of nice and flowy. Um, And so there's the Kwanzaa candle holder and a solstice thing? Yeah, the Peruvian solstice celebration, uh, where sacrifices were made to honor the Incan sun god. I'll go with the Incan one. Why not? Okay. And Laura? I am going to go with the second one, the Kwanzaa one. I... I have Ukrainian heritage. I don't claim to be from Ukraine at all. Um, I know some traditions. The only fermented milk beverage I can think of is kefir from that area. I've never heard the term kinara, but I mean, that could be from a different area of Ukraine. But it just doesn't seem to ring true for that. So, And then the first one, I don't know. I'm just going to go with the Kwanzaa one. It feels better for some reason. The kinara is the candle holder used in Kwanzaa celebrations Yay, <laughs> in North America. Kwanzaa itself honors African heritage in African-American culture and is observed from December 26th to January 1st, culminating in a feast and gift-giving. During the week-long celebration, seven candles are placed in the Kanara, representing the seven principles of Kwanzaa. Unity, self-determination, collective work and responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. The colors of the black, red, and green candles themselves are symbolic, representing, respectively, the African race, African bloodshed, and the land of Africa itself. Intu Reimi is the solstice celebration of the Incan people of Peru, honoring their sun god. But because Peru is south of the equator, the winter solstice actually comes in June rather than December. The festivities, which included feasts and sacrifices, were banned by the Spanish after their conquest of the area, but it was revived with mock sacrifices instead of real ones within the last hundred years and is still celebrated today, sometimes ironically, sometimes Mm -hmm. sincerely. And the uh, spiced fermented milk thing, I made that up. Yeah, it was, uh, it, I, I was like, eggnog, kefir, let's, let, let's combine those two. Make it maximally disgusting. <laughs> unholy alliance yeah. of dairy. <laughs> you could have had some skewer in there. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'll make it for you sometime. It's like fermented cottage cheesy kind no, of thing. Oh, it's mostly. Except it's kind of more like yogurt. It's really weird. Okay. Yes. Yogurt, sour Too cream, honey. awesomeness. Okay. Set the vegan. Well, I like all of these things, so I'm failing to see the problem with this so far. <laughs> okay. Round five. Congratulations, Lauren. <laughs> so uh, we'll see if uh, Ashlyn and Laura can distinguish themselves uh, in this round. The final question is, is Lori a... The name of a Punjabi winter festival involving a community bonfire and door-to-door singing. B, the extra light at the center of the Hanukkah menorah. Or C, a traditional Turkish holiday pancake stuffed with minced fish and served with olive oil and fruit preserves. We'll start with Laura. Uh, 
Hey, Lauren's going to win anyway, so I might I know. as well start with somebody new. No point, it's all right. <laughs> I know, I've got one! i got one! Um... Lowry. Punjabi Winter Festival, the extra light in the Hanukkah menorah, the one in the center, or the Turkish holiday pancake? I think it's going to be either the pancake or the Punjabi festival. Because I'm kind of hungry right now, I'm going to go with pancake. Okay. So as good a reason as any. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's interesting. I was going to go with the pancake thing until you said fruit preserves and fish. Don't knock until you try it. <laughs> that just sounds so awful that I can't understand why you eat it. Although, this, there's also, like, lutefisk in the world, so... There's a lot of awful things that a lot of people like. Yeah. Don't make me cook you Norwegian and food. Bonfires and singing are like really Christmassy, so I don't know if Jem just took Punjabi and Christmassy things and put them together. <laughs> um, and I, I'm pretty sure I've heard the name of the extra candle, and then that's not it. Yeah. So I'm gonna go with the Punjabi festival. Okay. <laughs> I'm with Laura on this one. Because I've never met a carb that wasn't my best friend. <laughs> Seriously, carbs are my soulmates. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the pancake. You're going to go with the pancake. All right. Lori is a winter festival celebrated primarily in the Punjab region of India and Pakistan. You, during the day, children go door-to-door singing folk songs. Turning them away is considered bad luck, and children are often rewarded with sweets or even money. A bonfire is lit at sunset, and people toss sesame seeds, sugar candy, and popcorn into the fire. They sit around, sing, and dance till the fire goes out. You didn't tell me there were snacks with this one, too. <laughs> yeah, Jeff. Yeah. We always go with snacks. Had and these were, like, heart-heavy snacks, keep it too. Concise. And sesames. Mm. The extra light in a menorah is called a shamash, or attendant, and is given a distinct location, usually above or below the rest. Its purpose, for those who are curious, is to ensure that a light is available for practical use, because it is forbidden to use the Hanukkah lights themselves for purposes other than promoting Hanukkah or meditating upon the holiday. And as there is always a reason behind every rule, I'd like to meet the first person who accidentally took one out of the Nora. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, Turkish holiday pancake thing, I did make that up. However, in so doing, I discovered that there is uh, a very similar Turkish uh, uh, delight called a... a goz- <laughs> <laughs> it's not very similar, but Turkish delight is Turkish delightful. Turkish delightful. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, the... The uh, it, it is similar to the uh, I think it's I think it would be gozlim, uh, a delicious sounding Turkish pastry pocket stuffed with meats, vegetables, or cheeses. Uh, something else I learned so while researching this segment. Uh, apparently, KFC is ridiculously popular around Christmas time in Japan. Yes, it uh, is. The the result of an aggressive and wildly successful holiday marketing campaign that began several decades ago. And this, despite the fact that only a tiny fraction of the population actually celebrates Christmas. Tallying the scores, we have Lauren is the victor with three points. Yeah, I'm going to guess Ashlyn it. has yeah. two points, and Laura kindly guessed almost all of the ones I made up. She yeah. has one point. I like to think that it's because I have an affinity to the things that you do because <laughs> I spend so much time around you. So I was just drawn to the the ones that spoke of your personality. All right, Ashlyn, I think that's the end of the segment. Do you want to take us out? 
Well, thanks for joining me, everybody. I hope that this has been an informative discussion for everyone. I am really genuinely looking forward to the feedback. Um, I expect there to be some nice and some not-so-nice stuff, so bring it on. All right, so uh, we actually just discovered that uh, we lost uh, part of the audio for our game, so uh, you've presumably just finished listening to it and noticed that there was a significant shift in audio quality uh, around the midpoint of that game. So sorry about that, but luckily we had a backup. But uh, I just wanted to let people know about that so that they don't think something weird happened. <laughs> well, it did. Well, okay, that's fair. So you've been listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. We really, really do appreciate your comments, your emails, your tweets, and your reviews. So please, please leave us a review, comment, tell us what you think. We live for your feedback. If you review us on iTunes, I guarantee that you will make Ashlyn smile. <laughs> you might even make me crack a grin. That's a feat. <laughs> and if you send me carbs, you will really make me happy. <laughs> Not, don't, please don't mail us donuts, but like Timmy's cards. That's good. <laughs> um, our music is produced by the very talented Ian James. Our episode today was edited by me, Ashlyn Noble. You've been listening to Life, the Universe, and everything else. Have a great night. Good night. Good night. Woo. Merry Christmas, holiday, Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah. Happy Christmas, Kwanzaa. Happy yes. holiday, Christmas. Yes. Yeah, okay. Enjoy this lovely festive season, everyone. Yes. Amen. Ashlyn Noble probably edited this episode, or Ian James also edited this episode. <laughs> I'm just going to get it all in there yeah. so I can chop it You're up. You're going to chop that up to make some sort of coherent sentence? You can leave us a review on iTunes. Or Stitcher. Or Stitcher. That's the one I was thinking of. Has it not been recording? I had more pull quotes. When I stopped it, it said, warning, card full. Oh, sh- <laughs> Well, let's see what we've got.